All right. Good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the pastors here at church, and I wanted to welcome you again, those of you that are in person, those of you that are worshiping with us online, welcome all to Wheaton Bible Church. Um, I don't know if you heard this, but we have been in a transition for the last few months, um, and last week, we actually got to celebrate uh, uh, Rob's last sermon, if you will, and we were celebrating his 27-year ministry faithful ministry here at WBC, but then we are stepping into a new chapter of the church, into a new era of the church, and uh, I I don't know if if this is true for all of us, but I know it's true for me. Every time I go through a transition, I feel extremely uncomfortable. Every time anybody goes through a transition, there is this weird sense of sometimes joy, but also like uncertainty, sometimes uh, it is sure about what the Lord could do, but at the same time with questions about what the Lord is going to do, when he's going to do it, how he's going to do it. Transitions actually makes us all, in my opinion, uncomfortable. How many of you guys agree with that by show of hands? How many of you guys love transitions so we could pray for you? <laughs> See, the, the thing with transitions is that you, you are living in between the times, Right? You are living in between the old and the new. You are living in between the things of the past and the hope of the future. You are living in between the known and the unknown. That's why transitions are usually complicated. The good news, though, is that we don't have to go through this transition by ourselves because the Lord is with us. And the same thing, and at the same time, we also have this confidence that we are not the only ones that have gone through transitions. Actually, the Bible is full of people that have gone through transitions. And what we're going to do today and next week is we're going to be looking at two different characters in the Bible that went through major transitions, much bigger than what we're going through, and how the Lord not only sustained them, but used them, and not only that, but how the Lord spoke to them and the things that they believed. This is the beautiful thing about believing that the Bible is always relevant. Because whatever the Lord used back then is the same thing that we need today. And whatever whatever the Lord used back then is the same thing that we need today. This is why the word in the Bible is described as flawless, right, true, and eternal. Today, we're going to be looking into a famous transition by a famous person and his name is Abraham. We're actually going to look into a passage that is famous among Christians. We're going to be looking into Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bible, please go there. Uh, If you are modern, don't worry, we're going to put those on the screen. Uh, And I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to God and his word. So I need you to do me a favor. If you have someone next to you, all you have to say today is this. Are you ready for this transition? Go ahead. Listen, that was like a two-second question. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Starting in verse 1. The Lord has said, to Abram, which later on becomes Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples and earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4. And Abraham went, as the Lord had told them, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out for Haran, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions he had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Verse 6. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem, or Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he, will, so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went and toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham had set out and continued toward Negeb. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I pray once again that you speak to us this morning because we are all people in transitions. I pray, Lord, that whatever you spoke to Abraham back, back in those days, you make it real to us today. And that just as he stepped out in faith, we step out in faith today. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the churches, you may take a seat. Abraham, or Abraham, which is, it'll be his name later on, it's a unique character, you know? There's a reason why he's called a spiritual giant in church history. And why he's a spiritual giant in the story of redemption. See, Abraham was not like Moses, which he was chosen by God to be the lawgiver. He was not like Joshua, a great military leader. He was not a great king like King David. He was not known for, for being courageous as, they, as Daniel was courageous. He was not a great prophet as Elijah was a prophet. And yet, every single one of the people that I just mentioned... Every single leader and giant of our Christian faith, without a doubt, will look at Abraham and say, that's our father of faith. That's what it means to have faith and to live by faith. If there's one thing that I've learned about transitions, and I want us to, be, to remember today, is that all Christian transitions require one thing and one thing alone faith. And there is no better person than Abraham to teach us what that looks like. Today we're going to talk about three things. We're going to see that uh, faith requires a cost, faith requires a vision, and faith requires an anchor. A cost, a vision, and an anchor. Let's go with the first one. Faith requires a cost. There's super, something super interesting about this passage. That is both not just interesting, but challenging. 
Because the description of faith that we're going to see in this passage goes contrary to what many people think but, uh, uh, how faith looks like. See, I don't know if you ever heard this before, but I've heard this before, in which people describe faith as trusting and believing God, and that if you do that, things will go perfectly fine. That if you believe in God, all your problems will go away. That if you believe and trust God, you are not going to struggle. Stop suffering, they say. Just believe. The problem with that idea is that if you place your trust in Jesus Christ and things go wrong, then you don't think that there's something wrong with God per se. You might think that there's something wrong with you and your faith. But that's not what the Bible says. Actually, Jesus, when he calls us to him, he says that if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, for sure, for sure, you will be persecuted, you're going to experience rejection, you're going to suffer because of Jesus and because of the name of Jesus. And the reason why I wanted to start with that is because I want you to see that real biblical faith requires certain level of sacrifice and certain level of commitment. That the cost of faith is both sacrifice and commitment. That if we claim to be people of faith and we are not willing to sacrifice or to commit, we cannot call that biblical faith. You have faith, but not the faith that the Bible talks about. Now, someone may be asking, well, Hannah, well, where do you get that from? And I'll be like, thanks for asking the question. Chapter 12, verse 1, look at how it starts. The Lord said to Abraham, go, can you say go? go. From your country, your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. Every highlighted word there is extremely important. And everything starts with the word go. See, the word go in the original, if you read the context, you know what that means. It means to leave. In the original, that's, that's the meaning of it. But it means more than that. When you look at the original, the word go, when God calls him to go, Abraham to go, the word can also be translated as to die or to lead. So this is God calling Abraham to step out in faith by living, by being willing to die, by leading, by sacrifice. This is super interesting. The author of this book, Moses, chooses an expression that you find in Genesis chapter 1. And he says, God said. If you remember in Genesis, cha Genesis chapter 1, God says and the creation happens. God says and in his word there is power. So if that's what is happening, this is what the Lord is calling Abraham to do. He's saying go, and that is not an invitation. And that's not a suggestion. He calls Abraham and says, go, this is a command, and be willing to leave everything behind, and be willing to die, if that's what is required, and be willing to sacrifice how many of you guys like that call? See, this is the thing with modern Christianity. It promises the world without sacrifice. 
He promises everything beautiful and perfect without sacrifice. Look at what the, look at what the Lord is telling Abraham. He's calling him to sacrifice everything that he held dear. Everything that made him feel comfortable. Everything that made him feel secure. That's the call. See, when he calls him to leave his country, he's telling him, you got to be willing to leave prosperity and comfort behind. See, the cities in which Abraham was living were the, the, the three great centers of trade in, back in those days. When he's calling them to leave the family, he's calling them to leave everything that is familiar and actually calling him to leave acceptance. When he calls him to leave a household, he's calling him to leave everything that felt secure. This is what God is telling Abraham. If you really believe in me, are you willing to sacrifice? When was the last time the Lord asked you that? You know when the Lord asked me this? A few months ago. When I was trying to make a decision if I should, if I should run this race. See, the Lord never promised me that things were going to be okay. Never once. The Lord never said that people would love me and respect me and admire me. The Lord never said that. The Lord never promised that the church was going to grow like crazy. The Lord never promised comfort or security or any of that stuff. The Lord simply called me to sacrifice and to be able to, if I was willing to move from comfort to whatever the Lord had, if I was willing to move from something that felt secure to something that he had. Church, I know where I stand today. The question for you is, do you know where you stand today? Because every transition requires a sacrifice. That's what faith is. Now, this gets even more crazy because the Lord tells Abraham that he was supposed to step out in faith, not knowing where he was going to go. Did you notice that the text says, to the land that I will show you? He was not going to be able to see the land unless he was willing first to step out in faith. And you know what? That's important because the Lord was calling him not just to sacrifice, but to commit. Just commit. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of the unknown, regardless of all the questions we have and the doubts we have, regardless of everything, step out in faith, and I will show you. Commit. You know, through this pandemic, there has been a ton of studies done to the, uh, uh, about churches and what the churches are going through. And one of the latest studies showed that during the pandemic, the church of Jesus Christ was divided into three one-thirds. The first one-third is the group of people that during the pandemic actually made a greater commitment to the church. The second third is a group of people that started dating the church. So we're looking, checking out different churches, worshiping online in different places, but there's no real commitment. That's why it's called dating the church. Not good. And the third one-third is the people that actually walked away from the church. I'm, I'm praying that that's not our case here, but it feels about right. And I remember something that Warren uh, Wiersbe said a few years ago that is so relevant today. This is what he said. Uh, 
I sometimes get the impression that commitment is a vanishing commodity in today's world. Many people don't want to be committed to their jobs, their marriage vows, or to one another. I'm going to do my thing my way is the essence of today's philosophy, and this attitude was, has invaded the church. And I'm pleading with Christians. And I'm pleading with us that we become people not only that are willing to sacrifice, but to commit. Because real faith is costly. So this, this month, for example, we were remembering everything that happened in 9-11 in New York and in Washington. And uh, two weeks ago, I was hearing this interview about these different pastors in New York and how they were dealing with this thing and how they were helping people. But what caught my attention is that there was a group of pastors in New York when 9-11 happened, in which uh, in the midst of everyone flying away from New York, going to other places, retiring in different places, these pastors called their congregations to not go away, to stick around, to see what the Lord was going to do, to help rebuild the city. And like no other time in church history in New York, more young pastors moved into the city to plant churches. Do you know why they did that? Because this group of people understood that real faith is costly, that it requires sacrifice and requires commitment. I know what the Lord is asking of me during this time of transition. Do you know what the Lord is asking of you during this time of transition? Listen, I cannot force anybody to stick around, but stick around. Let's see what the Lord does. Faith, number two. Faith requires a vision. There are seven things that the Lord promises Abraham here in verses two and three. Great promises. And if you know anything about the Bible, seven is always a good number. It's complete, right? And in verse two, he says this. I will make you into a great nation, promise number one. I will bless you, two. I will make your name great, three. I will give, uh, you will be a blessing, number four. In verse three, it says, what is going on with this thing? I will bless those who bless you, number five. And whoever curses you, I will curse, number six. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let me paraphrase this for you. God is promising Abraham that if he's going to step out in faith, his family was going to be huge. He's going to count with God's favor at all times. He will be recognized globally. He will be able to bless others. He will be fully protected, and he will be a blessing through all the earth. That will be Abraham's testimony. You know how crazy it'll be that you're meeting Abraham and we ask the question, can you tell me something about yourself? And that he responds, the Lord tells me that I'm going to bless the entire earth. It doesn't matter how humble you are, man. You, you will look arrogant. But that was the promise. That was the vision. God promised him that he was going to do all these crazy things through him. 
But stop there for a second before you get too excited. This is the first time I saw this after preaching in this passage, from this passage many times, but this week I found myself asking the question, why is it that God spoke to Abraham about the cost of faith before talking about the vision of faith? And I think that the answer is super simple. Because God wanted Abraham's heart first. God wanted Abraham to be in love with God first. God wanted Abraham to see God as worthy. God wanted Abraham to see God as someone that is worth living and dying for. God knew that the human tendency is to love much more what the Lord can give you than the Lord himself. See, God knows that the tendency of the human heart is to love what the Lord is going to do through us and with us than to love him. That's why you struggle so much sometimes with great visions. Because great visions have the power to replace a great God. And God is telling Abraham, that if he was going to step out in faith, this was not going to be about him. Listen up, church. That if he was going to step out in faith, it had to be about God. His purposes, his plans, his goals, him doing. This is why he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless you. I will curse those that curse you. I will. Not Abraham's plan, God's plan. Not Abraham at the center, God at the center. This, this was the best thing that Abraham could hear. This is why as we go through this transition, church, we don't have to worry about the future. This is God's idea, God's plan, God's power, God's faithfulness. See, for Abraham, this is what humbled the lights out of him. And at the same time, this is what gave him confidence. You know what God said? I'm obligating myself to this vision. And verse 4, the first thing that happens is that it says that Abraham went. That guy had nothing to lose, you know. Oh, here's my little house and my little car and my little career and my little country and my little name and my little ethnicity. And the Lord says, look at this. And I'm committing myself to this. Why would you want to stay here when I'm inviting you to all of this? See, we have to think about what Abraham was going through when the Lord promised this. See, Martin Luther, in his commentary of this passage, he says that this passage is the most outstanding and the most important passage in all the scripture. Because what God is promising here is altogether impossible, unbelievable, and untrue if you follow reason. You know why? Number one, Abraham was 75. Come on. 75 at this time, it'll be like someone in their 40s. 
Come on, how much can you do in your 40s? Not only that, but his wife, which is 10 years younger, 65, she's barren. How is God going to do this if she can have babies? Not only that, if you follow the logic, it'll make more sense that he would stay with his people in his country with his thing because he was respected, he had authority, he had power, he had money, he had everything he wanted. You see? But Abraham understood something that we need to understand today. We step out in faith not just because the vision is beautiful. We step out in vision, step out in faith toward this vision because God said that he will take care of that. Look at what he says. Martin Luther again. These huge masses of unbelief and these high mountains which could suppress his faith completely, the holy patriarch overcomes and crosses by faith. He simply clings to this one thought. Behold, God is promising this. He will not deceive you, even though you do not see the way, the manner, or even the time of the fulfillment of this promise. Let me tell you something, church, just in case you missed it. The reason why you're here is because that promise has been fulfilled and is yet to be fulfilled. The reason why we have a Bible is because this promise has partially been fulfilled. The reason why the church exists is because this promise has partially been fulfilled. The reason why there's people from different ethnic groups and social classes and different backgrounds worshiping together is because this promise has been partially been fulfilled. If you are a believer today, the only reason why you are a believer today is because this promise has been partially been fulfilled. The reason why you are exploring Christianity, if you're not a Christian yet, is because this promise has been fulfilled and it will be fulfilled. At the end of the day, the church does not exist because we have a great vision, great purposes, an amazing Latin, good-looking, charismatic Leader. The reason why the church exists and the reason why we step out in faith is because God has made a commitment that he's going to establish his kingdom and he will use you and me for his purposes, his plan, and his glory. If our vision is only about us, is our vision is about our little church and a little house and a little car and a little kids and everything that is little. <laughs> that vision is too small. It's not about us getting bigger. It's not about us having crazy programs and amazing ministries. It is not about us conquering and stepping into amazing endeavors, all of that is good. But at the end of the day, the reason why we step out in faith is because God is the God of the I will. Amen. And that everything we do is from him, through him, and for him. You know what's the best thing that we could say to the Lord? After we do amazing things, 
to you be the glory. There's no one in heaven right now that is saying, wow, Abraham was amazing. Everyone is just worshiping the God of the I wills. Church, I know where I stand. I know why I exist. Do you know that? Do you know where you stand? Faith requires a cost. Faith requires a vision. And of course, faith requires an anchor. There's something super interesting that happens in this narrative. Something that is unexpected. Because here, it seems like if the Lord is elevating Abraham and showing that this is truly a man of faith, a man that is willing to sacrifice for the kingdom. And then you show, and then uh, you see that this is a, a, a man that was in love with God and he understood the vision and was willing to step out in faith. But what the Bible also shows us is that this man, as good as he was, he was also a man just like you and me that struggled with faith. How do I know that? Look at what happens in the narrative. In verse chapter 5, in, in chapter 12, verse 5, he says that he takes his wife, his nephew, everything that he had, and he comes out, and they set out to the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. That was the land that the Lord was going, that promised him. Now, this is what happens. Once they get into the land, Abraham in verse 7, actually the Lord appears to in verse 7, and then he says this, to your offspring I will give this land. Notice that he already arrived in the land. And Moses as a way to, re and Moses and Abraham as a way to respond, he builds this altar as a sign of gratefulness and thankfulness. And you would say, this man is amazing. Until you get to this verse. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And you say, what? He sacrificed everything. He moved out in faith. And when he gets to the promised land, when things got complicated, he walked away. How many of you guys relate to Abraham? Just me? Okay. Do you know why the Lord shows us that? Because Abraham was not supposed to be our hero. Because Abraham was not supposed to be our savior. Because Abraham was a person that the Lord was using to accomplish his purposes. But he was not truly, truly, 100% a man of faith. As much as he wanted to. This is why this little word, offspring, is so important. Because Galatians chapter 3 verse 7 says, uh, Galatians chapter 3 says that this word offspring is talking about Jesus, the real, true, and better Abraham. The one that actually lived by faith, if you will, and responded and sacrificed and committed. This whole story is not for us to hyper-focus in Abraham, but Abraham was kind of a miniature of Jesus that will point us to the real and better Abraham. Why should I say that? Well, because if you have Jesus as the center of attention, that's your anchor. Do you know why? Because Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who was also called by the Father to leave his house, and he did. 
This is also called us to see Jesus as the true and better Abraham, who was also called not just to leave his house, but to leave his family, his security, and what was comfortable to him, and to count the cost and move out to a land that was different to his and be, um, and be rejected by the people that did not know him. See, this story is meant to take us to Jesus, which is the better and true Abraham who would truly do everything for the glory of God. This story is meant to point us to Jesus, who is the true and better Abraham, who not only sacrificed comfort, commodity, family, security, but he sacrificed himself. Did you know that when Jesus goes to the cross, the curse that we deserve, he takes. And Abraham says, I will curse those that curse you. And in Jesus says, I will curse myself for the people that need, deserve that curse. And not only that happens, but we also get the blessing that we don't deserve. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says that in Jesus, we have all the spiritual blessings. Listen, your house is a blessing. Your career is a blessing. Your job is a blessing. Your family is a blessing. Your body is a blessing. Everything you have is a blessing. But all those blessings, compared to all the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, that's nothing. Because in Jesus Christ, the one that truly blessed us, in him we have, in, in him we have been forgiven, no more record, accepted, completely loved, adopted, justified, redeemed, sanctified. You have a new identity. You have been engrafted in, in into the family of God. And God can never and will never walk away from you. That's a blessing. If you have that, if you have that, that's what allows you to step out in faith into another transition in life and know that you are secure. Our confidence, church, again, is not the church. Our confidence is not a leader or a group of leaders. Our confidence is not the size of our budget or how amazing we are. Our confidence is not the kind of people we have or the strategies we have built. Our confidence is Jesus and him alone. Because in him, all the I wills of God have been fulfilled. Now, someone may be asking, that sounds good, Hannibal. Does that work? Is having that anchor good enough for us to move into the future in faith? I think so. Let me read to you a letter from an African pastor that he wrote to other churches right before he died. Pay attention because that's my prayer for me and it is my prayer for you. I am part of a community of those who are not ashamed. I have... I have, uh, I have Holy Spirit power. My destiny has been determined. I have crossed the line. The decision has been made. I am one of his disciples. I won't look back, pause, stop, return, or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense, and my future is secure. 
I have already finished the race, and I don't want to know anything about small dreams, shy visions, passionless living, mundane talks, small giving, or insignificant goals. I do not need prominence, prosperity, position, promotion, approval, or popularity. I do not need to be right, to be the first, to be the maximum, to be recognized, to be honored, to be esteemed, or to be rewarded. Now I live in, this, in his presence and trust with faith. My face is fixed in one direction. My pace is fast. My goal is heaven. My way is narrow. My, ro- my road is rough. My companions are few. My, God is, my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, dishonored, seduced, distracted, turned around, deviated, or delayed. I will not blink before the sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the face of adversity or negotiate at the table with my enemies, nor consider popularity or live in the middle of mediocrity. I will not surrender, nor be silent, or pause, or tire out until I have preached, prayed, paid, and accumulated for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must continue until he comes. Give till I drop. Preach until I know and work until he stops. When he comes to his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clearly seen. And then he talks to the church and says, do it, brothers and sisters, for one reason and one reason alone. The glory of God. I know where I stand. Do you know where you stand? That's what the Lord is calling us to. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, nobody said that living by faith was going to be easy. Lord, and we reject the idea that when we live by faith, things are supposed to get better. I pray, Lord, that it does. What matters the most, Lord, is not that you take away our problems or you take away our struggles so that we step into the future because the future is secure because of the things we plan. What matters the most, Lord, is that as we step into the future, you are going with us and that your promises in Jesus Christ are always yes and amen. And that you have obligated yourself to fulfill your purposes and your goals. And that you have invited us to be part of that. And not just that you invited us, Lord, but you redeemed us and adopted us and brought us into that family. So we get to do this with you. Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray for Wheaton Bible Church, Tri-Village, and Iglesia del Pueblo. I pray, Lord, that you allow us to step into the future with full confidence of who you are and what you promise you're going to do. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says...